My name is Susie. I have three children, the youngest of whom struggles with anxiety, depression, and suicidal ideation. I never thought this could happen to me, and I miss the signs. Being a parent is really hard, but I'm here to help. I'm talking to other parents and experts to help you with the struggles that your kids may face. I want you to know that you are not alone and there is hope. I'm not a physician, therapist, or counselor. I'm just a mom. I want to see you smile again, take away that pain in them clouds I keep covering up the sun. This episode of the Just a Mom podcast is the second in a two-part series with Jennifer. If you have not listened to the previous episode, go back and listen to it before you start this one. Thanks again for listening to the Just a Mom podcast. Now here's the rest of my conversation with Jennifer. So he's 13 now. Yeah. Tell us about the the time between 9 and 13. Yeah, so at 9 we had a hospitalization. At 10 we had another hospitalization. And this was more for um, threats of self-harm but no actual self-harm. So we had been at a good dose of of our antidepressant. We felt good at at you know 75 milligrams of Zoloft. We were doing lots of therapy still. We had done CBT, like cognitive behavior therapy, just talking about our feelings. We had done um, problematic sexual behavior therapy where we talk about thing, how to set up boundaries with our own bodies and consent and other, other people's bodies. At 10, we're having a lot of feelings about crushes on boys and girls and are we allowed to kiss them? Do we have to ask first? And you know, the movies don't show a lot of asking first, but we absolutely do need to make sure that there's consent on both sides. Um, we had done ART, Accelerated Resolution Therapy, which is a fast-acting therapy. They claim it, we didn't have very good results with it, but they say it only takes about three months to be done with it. Oh, I've never even heard of that. Tell yeah. us a little bit ART. about what that is. It's a lot like cognitive behavior therapy. So you sit and you talk, but you make action plans. So you don't just talk about your feelings, but you talk about if I have this feeling, here is what I will do next time. For adults, you choose this therapy and you want to do this therapy. Sure. For my son, I said, this is your next therapy. Go ahead. And there was no buy-in from him, so there was no desire to change behavior. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So maybe that's why it didn't work well for us because he was a child and being forced into therapy without feeling like I need to make a change. Mm. Um, and I think that... That point right there, again, applies to all parents with kids who are struggling with whatever mental health issues. And I've had these conversations multiple times. It's all well and good that we want our kids to get better, but they have to buy into wanting to get better. Yeah, but then how do you how do you reconcile that with, I need to keep my kid alive, so I need to force them yeah. to do this? I don't know. There's no there's no right way, right? There's no there's no way to say, well, if they don't want it, I'm going to let them go right. and hurt themselves. You can't. You can't. Exactly. But you can't make them want to live. Yeah. So, mm. since we hadn't seen any actual self-harm, we kept that dose where it was at, and his psychiatrist suggested a mood stabilizer. These are sometimes called antipsychotics, which is a really scary term for a family member that doesn't have anybody with psychotic tendencies, for, for lack of a better word. But mood stabilizers are aiming to adjust your mood. Mm -hmm. So they, they're they a little bit sedating. They, they kind of just chill you out a little bit. 
Um, they can cause severe weight gain, though. And at age 10, that's not something that a 10-year-old boy wants to have. They're, they're, they're gaining weight, and now they're going to be teased. Mm. So we tried a few different mood stabilizers, and our psychiatric team at Children's Mercy was phenomenal. And they were like, great. We tried this one. Wasn't a great fit. Tried this one. Wasn't a great fit. Let's do pharmacological testing where we do a blood draw and figure out what meds will be a good fit for him. And lo and behold, he has a certain gene that metabolizes a mood stabilizer faster than some other people. So there's a whole family of meds that are not going to be a good fit for him. And most insurances don't cover pharmacological testing, but we had already tried like six different ADHD meds and a few mood stabilizers. They were like, listen, we're going to let you do this. And they they covered it. That's that's incredible. You're probably probably the third or fourth parent that I've talked to who's done that, and most of them have had to pay out of pocket. Yeah, and it's like 300 400 yeah, bucks. It's not cheap. But it was so helpful because then we knew any that are in this certain family, don't even try it. Don't waste your time. Yeah. And so has that helped you kind of pinpoint what is the best medication? Yeah. So now we started a new mood stabilizer, and it's called Geodon. It was used a lot about 20 years ago. Then they made some some new faster-acting medications, and they were like, Geo- we're not going to use Geodon as much anymore. But our doctor's like, there's no reason to not use it. It's just as good as the other ones, and it's in a family that his body will tolerate. So that's what we're on right now, and we've seen – about two years of no self-harm. Wow. That's huge. Going yeah. from like daily yeah. to a couple of times a week. And is it because of the therapy? Is it because of the meds? Is it because he's been living in our home for nine years and that's the longest he's ever been in a home? Who knows? But we've, I mean, we've tried everything, right? So we can't say that it's n- none of those things. It's sure. probably all of them in conjunction yeah. with each other. How is school for him now as a 13-year-old? That's a great question. So my son attends an alternative school. He went in sixth grade to a regular school, and his behaviors were not able to be controlled by the special education team. He has an IEP for ED, emotionally disturbed. His IQ is completely normal, and there's no, like, learning disabilities. There's no learning deficits. He's, like, he's on grade level. Okay. Despite having these (laughs) emotional outbursts. Um, he, he does get physically aggressive, and they say that too much antidepressant can cause aggression. So when we had had two years of no self-harm, we did decrease his antidepressant a little bit to see if that would have less physical aggression. Uh, his therapists think that his, his the back part of his brain, the amygdala, which is responsible for fight or flight or freeze, is just constantly firing out to him. You are in danger. You're in danger, even when he's not, because yeah. so much of his life has been – in dangerous situations. Mm-hmm. He's always had to have an overactive amygdala. So his brain is has formed differently. So he ended up getting a neuropsych test done about four years ago, right before COVID. Mm. And it just it's about eight hours long. It's exhausting. Wow. And they rule out every other diagnosis. So they say, okay, it's not ADHD. He did this test, and it was great, so it can't be ADHD. There's no autism. He, it can't be that. Let's figure something else out. And what they determined is that he has – it's a fancy name for PTSD – encephalopathy. That's which, a big word. Yeah. It just means your brain <laughs> has formed differently due to trauma, okay. which is what PTSD is. Yes. But encephalop- encephalopathy is a medical diagnosis as opposed to a – psychiatric or psychological diagnosis. Okay. So you can get services with a medical diagnosis 
that you can't with a therapeutic wow. diagnosis, which is wild. I, I, and I'm just thinking, how does the average person, you know, people like me, just mom, how in the world does somebody like me know to navigate all that? And I'm so impressed with you that you... There's no way to know because we don't have any sort of like hub mm-hmm. for all of these different things. And if you don't know that like the Thompson Center does does it. The Thompson Center does these kinds of tests. I'm not even familiar with the Thompson Center. Oh wow. Okay. They're in Columbia, okay. Missouri. And you can you can get a referral from a psychiatric facility or from a hospital to have full comprehensive testing done. They test for autism, they test for ADHD. Wow. They are incredible. And they're like they're the closest place that doesn't have a nine year wait list mm. for a service like this. We were on we were eight month wait list for it. So it was still <laughs> so long. Eight months? Yes. But it's so important to get that done because then you can figure out like you know, every time that my son gets hospitalized, they throw ADHD medications at him because they're like, oh, he's so jittery. He, he can't stop moving. He can't stop talking. Okay, well, he has PTSD. Yeah. Did you know that PTSD looks just like ADHD? Hyperactivity, impulsivity, jittery body. They look the same. So now you are able to present... The, yeah, we can the say hospital. Here, yeah, this he's not he does not have ADHD. It's been ruled out officially. Please don't try any ADHD meds. Also, here are the meds that we tried last time we were here. And remember how that didn't go so well? Yeah. Wow. So that was about not, uh, 10 years old. Okay. Then COVID hit. We were in fifth grade. <sighs> and in Kansas City, in where I live, North Kansas City, fifth grade is the end of elementary school. And then okay. you go to a sixth grade center to learn how to do middle school. Hmm. But not when it's COVID. When it's COVID, you just go home and you don't get to graduate from fifth grade. Mm-hmm. You don't get to say goodbye to the people that you went to elementary school with. So my son thought he was getting suspended oh. indefinitely. And he had been suspended quite a few times before for aggression and, and unstable behaviors. So he freaked out. He panicked and we had to hospitalize him. He was threatening to harm others himself. He was trying to act on some of the harming others. So we had to do a very quick call 911, have an ambulance come and bring him to the hospital. Has he ever threatened to harm you or your husband? Oh, yeah. How does that feel? I mean, at first it sucked. At first it was like, I have done so much for you which is a problematic thought anyway because children are not indebted to their parents for taking care of them. Children don't ask to be born, right? So the savior mentality that comes from I have done a lot for you is a problem. But it's exhausting, oh, right? So then to be like, you don't love me? Really? But the more therapy that he had, the more I soaked in and realized it's not about love. It's, it's his brain. Mm-hmm. His brain is, ha, did not form the way mine did. So when he's upset, he doesn't know what else to do. I know what to do because I'm over 24 and my brain is done and because I had a stable childhood. Yeah. So I know what things I can do to blow off some steam. And my son does not. Yeah. He doesn't have those tools. And I also sometimes think, you've been in therapy for so many years. You haven't learned this yet. You haven't figured out that this isn't going to work. 
but his brain isn't at its own best, nor is it at the full capacity of someone who didn't have trauma in early years. Right. Mm. What are some of the coping mechanisms you have employed for yourself? That's a great question. So I do a lot of listening to podcasts and <laughs> listening to books. So a lot of like, it's kind of a distraction, but it, a lot of them are informational texts. So I learn more and more things about the disorders, about how my son's brain is working so that I don't internalize the things that are happening. Mm-hmm. Like my husband and I had to get trained in a, a couple of restraint procedures so that we could hold or restrain our son when he is self-harming or threatening to self-harm. And he's I mean, he's big now. He's yeah, 150 he's pounds. So and you're takes, a little thing. So. Yeah, I'm five foot nothing. So it takes two people to restrain him when he's in those rages. Mm-hmm. Um and we have a safe room in our house, mm-hmm. so a, a boarded up room that construction workers with an ABA therapy team created for us. And that's like really sad to think about that I have to restrain my son or I have to put him in a room where he can't get out when he's unsafe. So I think I would spend a lot of time like crying and wallowing and and doodling in a notebook if I weren't just trying to cram my brain with more information about why it's not my own fault. It's absolutely not your fault. But how do you how else as a parent do you like not internalize those thoughts? Sure. And we all do that when our children struggle. Right. If I had just put him in this therapy a little earlier, maybe this wouldn't have happened. I mean, you can't not think all of those things. But there have been so many books and resources that I have read and listened to that are like game changing in that like stopping that thought process before Mm. it happens i also have my own therapist which has been very helpful you would have to and i mean i'm a big proponent of therapy for everyone so yeah it's it's you would have crucial let's talk about your marriage so i'm doing the math here i'm not a mathematician so you've probably been married about eight years Uh now okay eight years and you have other children now. Yes, we have a two-year-old and a five-year-old. You have a very busy household. <laughs> yeah. How how has this affected your marriage in the last eight years? Yeah, so um, when my son was at his most difficult in the last few years, which was like right after COVID, when he was at uh, his sixth grade center, he was eventually expelled from the sixth grade center for violence because the self-contained classroom couldn't contain him, they couldn't work with him, and he was sent to an alternative school, which that was actually a blessing because at alternative schools, they don't really send kids home. They don't really suspend. They can handle the most extreme cases because that's who goes there is the extreme cases, kids that cannot be served at a regular school, even with special education services. But before that, in sixth grade, he was getting sent home once a week. He was violent and had to be picked up. He couldn't go on the bus. So my husband and I were constantly communicating throughout the workday. He's a lawyer, so I'd be like, okay, uh, do you have trial? If not, I need you to go pick him up. I can't get a sub today, so I need you to bring him into school because he got kicked off the bus. Um, I did get a sub today, so I'll go pick him up. But then you need to get the toddlers from daycare. It was just nonstop And we were kind of ships sailing in the night. We didn't see each other. It was one of us was parenting our oldest and one of us was parenting our toddlers. And 
it, it was not sustainable. So moving to the alternative school or being forced to go to the alternative school happened to be wonderful because we didn't have to worry about school. He, you weren't going to get called every yeah, day. Yeah, they can handle it. They have people that are trained in restraint procedures. They have a safe room. They have security officers, so they don't need to call the police. And then I have to go pick him up at the police station or at the hospital if they bring him there. I don't have to worry about that. School, yeah. they've got it. And that's a victory. Yeah. Then I don't have to worry about it quite so much. So that has helped my husband and I a lot because it's just one thing off of our plate that is already too overcrowded. Um, And as we found mood stabilizers and antipsychotics that have worked well for our oldest, he is safe to be around our youngest too. He's never harmed them, but we don't have to worry about having to seclude the youngest ones into a different room and then get a restraint in order for our oldest we can just exist and all go to the park together and as simple as that sounds for the rest of us who don't have to deal with the types of things you're dealing with that sounds like well yeah a regular family but well regular air quotes what is regular yeah right but again, what a victory for you guys to be able to do that. Yeah. So when your 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 two and five year old were a little younger, I mean they're already young, you were not able to even have them in the same room? No. Okay. Wow. And we ended up having to put cameras in all of the rooms just in case, you know, the toddler's crawling, so he's in one room and then the five year old when he was three, he was like able to walk but he couldn't necessarily open up the baby gates that we had to seclude different areas but the oldest could obviously jump over any baby gate sure. it's not a barricade i'm thinking did you have like live-in help or yeah we <laughs> did for a little bit to. we had therapists that were in our home from three to eight every day um through an aba therapy so what is aba i meant to ask you that earlier oh yeah it stands for applied behavior analysis okay it's typically used for kids that are on the autism spectrum but Insurance will cover it for kids that have tried handfuls of other therapies. Okay. If they're like, this is the last resort. Okay. It's This feels inappropriate, but it's kind of like training a, an animal. So you, you give a direction. If they do the direction, you give a treat. So for our son, if he was safe, he would earn a treat. Mm-hmm. Every five minutes of safe behavior, he could earn a ticket or like a token that he could cash in for treats. Wow. Yeah, it's a great idea. Yeah, it's a it's positive reward system. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. And so it's like conditioning. You yeah. you classically condition. The only problem is when you have a kid who's eleven and knows how to navigate a system, he's like, Cool, I could be unsafe for a second and then fix it really quick and be safe and get a couple extra tokens because I know that I get more tokens when I fix it after being unsafe. Because that that is a higher reward, right? You want to reward someone who's on the verge of a meltdown to not having a meltdown. Right. And that's worth more than just having good behavior for for a few minutes straight. So Mm. then he's going to kind of manipulate the system, Mm -hmm. which is is messy. Yes, it is. So you you had therapists in your home. Yes. So we had two restraint-trained therapists every day from 3 p.m. after school until bedtime, 8 p.m. And they were the ones that installed our safe room. Okay. So they had certain protocols. So they would say, if we notice any of his warning signs, which were like clenched fists, furrowed eyebrows, um, clenched jaw, or, 
using an elevated voice when he's talking, raising his voice, and even not um, a louder volume, decibels, but a higher pitch. Mm. So if he starts talking like this, that's a precursor to his beginning to escalate. Okay. So if we notice any of those warning signs, we're going to get the toddlers out, we're going to get the dogs out, and we're going to escort him up to the safe room. Now, he's 11. He can refuse. Mm -hmm. And then that's when a restraint would happen. Mm -hmm. So they provided us with a three-inch foam mat and 72 hours of training on how to be trained in a restraint procedure that is very safe and used in a lot of uh, group homes for people with autism. And so we have a big giant mat that we lay down and move to wherever he's at and we do a restraint if he's refusing to go to the safe room. When do you and your husband spend time together, just the two of you? (laughs) Not not very often. Uh, We're working toward having a better bedtime routine. Right now the kids get to play a little bit of screen time together. All three of them sit together and play on like little tablets or these old-fashioned Game Boys that my mom found and and shipped to me from New York. And we have 15 minutes of game time, then we have some reading time and some quiet time. Okay. I often fall asleep during that quiet time. I bet. Because by then it's like 8.30. You're and exhausted. I'm tired. Yeah. So my husband and I have been working toward having the toddlers do their reading in their room. They have a little bunk bed. It's a cute little nursery-style room. Our son sleeps by the safe room so that if there is any kind of escalation, he's already close there. And then I keep myself awake by, like, listening to a book while they're doing their quiet time. So it's not my quiet time yet. Then when everybody's asleep, my husband and I, we sometimes watch shows on Netflix together. We read a book together. I love doing puzzles. So we try to try to get that time when mm-hmm. everybody's asleep. Mm-hmm. What about your younger kids? What What do you see in them that they have learned either good or bad? Yeah. Yeah. Our five-year-old says some really interesting things sometimes like, it's okay to be mad. We just need to calm down. Like mm. he parrots things that he knows that I say out of validation for our oldest. Like feelings are okay. We just have to have safe, appropriate behavior. And he'll say those things as opposed to saying like, why are you mad right now? Why are you upset? So he's accepting of a variety of different feelings and emotions that I think some five-year-olds might not be. Uh, what I'm thinking is that is so great and that's what we all need to be doing as parents. And now on this side of things where my children range in age from 20 to 25, we didn't do that. And that's what I'm hoping younger parents who listen to the podcast will get from this is, yes, we need to start doing that very thing yeah, with really our toddlers. Young. Because I can't, I can't wait to talk to you in like 10, 15 years and see what a different kid yes. the t- my toddlers are. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's really cool as my son, my oldest, gets to an age where he can be helpful with the toddlers. Oh, yeah. And there are things that he we're not interested in having him help with, like changing a diaper, for example, because his ideas about consent with toddlers are really muddled. He, sure. Like one example, when I used to breastfeed my youngest kiddo, he felt like sharing my body with a toddler that can't consent was not appropriate. Because we talked to him so much about how he was a toddler when things happened to him, and that wasn't appropriate. So it's hard for him to draw a line and say, well, this is appropriate, and this is feeding and Mm life-sustaining. What happened to you was not. Right. Because in his brain, he's just like sharing bodies without consent, not okay. Yeah. 
and I think I'd prefer to keep it that way and just breastfeed it in the seclusion of my own room because that is an important boundary for him to know. Yes, it is. He, as a victim of sexual abuse, is much more likely to become a victim again later in life because of those boundaries. So if we can instill those boundaries, even if he thinks it's not okay that I change a dirty diaper, I will let him complain as much as he wants because he has those boundaries set. Mm-hmm. But he's a really great role model. He'll he'll say things like, why don't we go read a book? And then the toddlers want to read a book. Isn't that great? So, And my therapist talked to me about this one time. She said, how often do you get to talk about your oldest son's positive attributes? And it's so infrequently mm-hmm. that I get to think about him in in a positive way because so much of his life is surrounding his hard things getting him help getting him getting the insurance to cover it getting him to um go to the right school so i never get to sing his praises yeah. you know i mean even even this right now i'm talking about all of his hard things but he does wonderful things yeah. and my therapist is like it's hard for you to talk about his positive things because you don't do it enough and it, it's very easy for me to talk about his his rough days because I'm desensitized to it. I do mm. it all the time. It's like I, a coping mechanism of my own yeah. to just stonewall, talk about, you know, how many therapies has he done? He's in this new one called neurofeedback. Really cool. They hook these things up to his brain. Mm-hmm. And I could talk about that without getting emotional. Yeah. But I think about him reading a book with the toddlers and the tears come. If I were in your shoes, I would have to develop a desensitization. I would have to compartmentalize. Yeah, you can't survive without it. But it's also beautiful to see you, the tender side yeah, and the emotional side, because of course you are. You wouldn't be doing this. Yeah, yeah. And people, I think people often say like, wow, it's so impressive that, that you just rattle these things off and it just it makes me feel really guilty that I don't rattle off the positives mm. easily. Mm. Tell me some more positives. Well, he's on grade level despite getting kicked out of various schools various different times. His his ability to retain information is phenomenal. He knows all about outer space. He's taught me so much about um, UY Scooty. It's like the largest supernova in in our current galaxy that we are aware of right wow. now. Wow. It's like a hundred times larger than our sun. Oh, wow. Who, who, who knew? Not me. He is starting to read books on his own. We, we listen to books every night together. So we listen to all of the Harry Potter books. He loves listening to books on tape, probably because I do that a lot in front of him. So he sees that it's something that I value. And just about a week or two ago, he started reading books like reading Mm. books in his hands and he's always been a good reader but he hasn't enjoyed it and now he's transitioning to enjoying that reading which is so cool yes we went to the park two days ago when it wasn't rainy (laughs) and we found a little free library which we think are so cute and cool and each of the kids got a book and in the car he was reading his chapter book and the toddlers can't read yet but they were both holding their books in their car seats looking like they were reading and I was just like I took a picture of it because they just want to be like him which is so cool because they've seen him escalate we always get them out before it gets super violent but they've seen him when he's mad so they they know they'll be like i think he's mad right now it sounds like he's mad right now but they've never seen him at at his worst for for lack of a better term um 
but they still look up to him. They see all those wonderful things, which is so cool about toddlerhood. Yeah. And just the way that they look up to him is so, so beautiful. Mm. What do you see for your son's future? That's really loaded. Um, I mean, he still has unsafe behavior, right? He still, he still, he runs away and the police get called and the police know our house really well. They've been inside our home. They've been into the safe room. They, they know our phone number. So it could, it could go in two different directions. It could go totally amazing. He could work for NASA and discover something larger than UI Scooty, or he could end up in jail. I mean, hopefully, as he continues to get older, right, like puberty is a really hard time for kids with mental health issues and sexual abuse. It's just a really confusing time in their brain. So these last couple months have been kind of hard. Mm. It's also March and COVID happened in March. And there's, you know, your body keeps score of things that happen. There's trauma anniversaries. Mm. And March might always be a difficult time for him. So we have increased one of his mood stabilizers in the last week. And knock on wood that we'll see some some positivity from that. He's had three safe days in a row as of right now. So we, we just go one day at a time yeah. and we incentivize every safe day. Every string of seven safe days, he gets a dinner date. 20 safe days, we get to go to main event. He doesn't often have 20 safe days, so we yeah. don't go to main event very much. But yeah, hopefully we get longer stretches of safe days and go on that upward path. I think the lesson for all parents in what you just said is that we have to celebrate the small victories. And that's something that I have championed with parenting a child with mental illness and particularly during the low points, is we have to look for a minor victory, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes my son will say that, like, I could have punched a hole in the wall and I just slammed the door. There you go. And That's in my brain, I'm like, come on, stop slamming the doors in the house. <laughs> but but he's right. Yeah. Like, he could have gone a different way. Yeah. And 13-year-olds do slam doors. Yeah, I yeah. You that, you're right. Sometimes 53-year-olds <laughs> I mean, that's embarrassing to admit, but it's been a long time since I've slammed a door. But what are your hopes for your son? I hope that he gets to a point where he enjoys the therapy that I'm forcing him to go to, mm. that he sees it as an additional coping skill that he can access when he's feeling mad, that they're going to teach him things. Right now he's in this neurofeedback, which is very passive, so he doesn't have to talk. He doesn't have to do anything, and he says he likes that a lot, mm -hmm. that there's there's not a lot of work. And I would imagine that the last nine years have been a lot of work for him. Sure. Constant therapy, constant reminders of, of his trauma history, and that's hard. And he's a student, and that's a full-time job in and of itself. Right. So – Having some passive therapy might be nice, and then hopefully when he gets a little older, he can say, I would like to learn some new skills and elect to do a therapy. Do you see a time when he becomes an adult that he will be living on his own? Yes. Yes, absolutely. He can do all of the things independently. You know, there's no need for, like, a group home, for example, He's had enough safe years right now that I feel like it's easier to adjust 
the depression than it is to adjust the agitation and aggression, which is connected. He he feels low self-worth and low self-esteem because of the depression, and then that makes him angry, mm-hmm. angry at his life's circumstances. It's an isolating world. Like nobody understands that I can't just bring him to a birthday party. Yes. Or he can't just go to a friend's house or have a sleepover with somebody else for the night so yeah. I can get a break. There's, there's, There aren't things like that. Like, you can't call your parents and have them come stay with them. No. So you no. and your husband can get away. No. And the toddlers can and he can't. And he's mm-hmm. like, why can't I go with them? And the rules are different. You're yeah. just, you're not in a place yet where you can do that. Yeah. Mm. But, like, my other mom friends don't get that, you know? They're no. like, come on, just come to the park with us. We're all having a picnic. Okay. But then I don't have access to a safe room if we do try to run away or get violent. And what happens to the toddlers if you're by yourself? Uh-huh. Yeah. And you it's have like, to. We need we need sitters all the time. Yeah. He needs one sitter and the toddlers need, need, need a different sitter because yeah. we do get babysitters. Yeah. And that's economically... Yeah. Difficult. Yeah. Sometimes we need four sitters if, like, the the oldest one wants to play outside. Well, we need two adults with you because you're fast and you could run away. Wow. Yeah. And then the younger ones, I mean, they need, di- they need a diaper change or the five-year-old wants to play a little more independently, but he can't be without eyes on him. No. Exactly. Wow. Does your son have friends? He does. He does. We have a group in our neighborhood we live in a cul-de-sac and they moved in just a year ago and one of the kids also did ABA therapy my son had never met someone that had done ABA therapy before so he was like that's so cool I do that therapy too and I was like whoa he just called the therapy cool but it it formed a connection and that connection is hard and at an alternative school when all of the kids have extreme behaviors that's not where you're going to make friends because Mm. they're going to trigger each other all day long and then they're going to harbor resentment for, you know, you punched so-and-so, you hurt me, you called me a name. So that's not where he's mm-hmm. going to make his friends. It needs to be in the neighborhood, which means I need to feel confident enough that I can allow him to go there and watch from 20 feet away, yeah. which is scary. Yeah. And it's always scary to loosen the reins as a mom, but especially of a mom with such extreme needs. Because you're afraid he might hurt someone. Yeah. Yeah, they invite him over and I have to I've explained to the mom like I need to go with him and I know that feels kind of weird and you might be embarrassed if your house isn't clean but like I just need to have eyes on him at all times. Yeah. Do most people are they understanding of that or are they like some mm-hmm. are and some are like we he doesn't need to come over. Mm. And then it's just not a good fit for our family because you have to be friends with our family to be friends with our oldest. Right. You can't not allow me to supervise unless you're going to supervise the way that I would supervise. And that's a unique situation. Because you have all this training and you know him and I'm thinking I wouldn't know what to do. Yeah, you don't recognize the warning signs Mm -hmm. if you don't know them. And Mm -hmm. I I can type them out for you, but then then you're babysitting. Yeah. And and I don't want to pay you to be our friend. Yeah, right. But you do have family friends. We do. We do. And my husband has six brothers, and they live nearby. So we have cousins, and he's the oldest cousin in the crew. So there's a lot of kids that look up to him a lot. And mm. it's been it's it's been a challenge to find friends that are not family, but it's been really beautiful when we do. Yeah. Is there anything that I have not asked you that you want to say or talk about? I think we've covered it all. I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot to cover. COVID was hard. COVID is hard for anybody that 
has mental health issues, but it was just hard for everybody. COVID was hard. You're right for it was, everybody. It was hard to be home with him knowing that it was hard for him. Yeah. Like we would video call with his classmates to show that they were all home, but like he didn't believe it. Mm. You can't, I mean, you, you just see him in a little box. Yeah. You don't know where they are. Exactly. Mm. Wow. Well, Jennifer, I really appreciate your willingness to share your story and a little glimpse into your life. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's This is such important work that, that you're doing here. Well, thank you. It's really important work what you're doing as well. And I just want to encourage anyone who might have interest in fostering or adopting uh, to learn more about that. Yeah. Um, do you have any organizations that you would recommend? Yeah, Foster Adopt Connect is a wonderful organization okay. here. And they have connections to therapy services. They have case managers. They are phenomenal. And is that Kansas City specific? Or it's is that national? national? Okay. But, but national, we, do, we have a branch here okay. that's really good. We do have listeners all over the country, so that's good. I will put that in the show notes. As I will also put in the show notes all of the different types of therapies that you yeah. talked about because I can send you some links because oh, there's a lot. Awesome. So you know so much, and I I have no doubt that the listeners are going to learn from this episode. Yeah. If anybody wants to connect, give them my email. Oh wow. It's, uh, it's been it's isolating to be a parent yeah. with such extreme needs in your family, but when you find someone else that is, it's such a strong connection because yes. they finally understand. And a big reason that I started the Just a Mom podcast is I want parents to know that they are not alone and that there is hope. And that's exactly what you're sharing today. Yeah. So thank you so much for being on this episode of the Just a Mom podcast. Thank you for having me. If you or someone you know is struggling with suicidal thoughts or ideation, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 988. Once you smile again, take away that pain and them clouds that keep covering up the sun. I want to see you smile again, take away that pain and them clouds that keep covering up the sun. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a rating and or a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, please share this with your friends and anyone you think may find these interviews helpful. Thanks again for listening to Just a Mom.